question of how how it's felt to you know be photopunk dad and and be helpful in the way i've helped i've helped so many people you know i would really love if 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 people just didn't have the need that i'm that i'm sort of fulfilling as this um wholesome encouraging parental figure i guess my hope is that part of the role that social media can play is helping people become the people that they want to be or the that they need It's Uncommon Good, the podcast where we chat to ordinary people doing uncommon good in service of our common humanity. I'm Polly Reese. Fam, I'm delighted to bring to you today Will Parker and Cecilia Bellamy Parker. They're a couple of dear friends, musicians, improvisers, children's entertainers, and social media personalities. You might know them as the band Blue Raspberry, or on TikTok and Instagram, you might know them as Folk Punk Dad and Manic Pixie Dream Mom. Yeah. Quick content warning off the top. We do talk a lot about mental health and meds to help manage mental health and neurodivergence. So if this is not the right thing for you to be listening to right now, do feel free to switch this one off and we will catch you in the next one. That being said, we talk about what it's like to make music for young people, how media is changing our brains, positivity in social media, sobriety, all things Yale and New Haven and the release of their brand new album, The Harmless Haunt, available everywhere you listen to music. Fam, this was a delightful and lighthearted conversation. Please enjoy my chat to Will and Cecilia. Hi, friends. It's Hello. so good to see you. Hi, Polly. Hello, Polly. Great good to see, to see you, too. you, too. Yeah, I feel like, gosh... Um, it's been a season since we've had the privilege of sitting in each other's company and it not just being like a quick, hi, how are you? Like in the halls of, uh, well, I guess mostly Yale Divinity School. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it has been. Um, so um, I, so I'm going to having go us ahead. on here i was just yeah. saying thanks so much for having us today yes absolutely it's, it's an honor to be asked um i'm i'm so excited to to get to chat to y'all um the 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 place where i want to start which feels like the thing that's so important and so often neglected or sort of put on autopilot is um do y'all have a breakfast routine how does how what does it look like like those first few hours of the morning when the day starts well and you're like I know this is going to be a good day what do, what does that morning look like Well it's funny because I I can actually I I know exactly what Will is going to say <laughs> I think so you should go first and we should see if I'm right about that <laughs> You probably are right so I would say starting in maybe sep August or September, yeah. I started making oatmeal almost every single day. 
uh, but going all out with my oatmeal with um, chia seeds and cinnamon and honey and dried cranberries or dried blueberries and walnuts yeah. and bananas and a couple scoops of peanut butter. And that has been my go-to breakfast almost every day, along with uh, some pour-over coffee. And that has been a really good way to start the day. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, as for me, I started, uh, I guess back in probably early September, I started yeah. uh, working as a substitute teacher in elementary schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's turned into a, a full-time paraprofessional job at, at an elementary school. But wow. so I've been on, yeah, I've been on the, you know, elementary school schedule and I've never been very good at feeding myself that's that's like uh (laughs) I'm good at many things but that's something I'm not super great at and trying to get better at so uh I'm trying I'm in the phase right now of trying to figure out the hacks that work for me and so um one of them is having just like things that are require very few steps that are easy and like fair and nutritious enough so as nice as will's oatmeal uh buffet is like i would never (laughs) be able to accomplish that uh on my own so uh so i have some you know my protein bars my uh listen i I, i'll rep soylent um soylent shakes Ah. stuff like that and uh but I also the as far as routine, the routine element is more so with my tea because uh, coffee is too much caffeine for me. So yeah. I do black tea, especially Earl Grey. I love, and I'll wake up, put the kettle on, and I get my mug and my. I love. I have all sorts of different mugs. We could talk about that later. But mugs and uh, my mug, and then like a to-go mug, and I get them ready. Yeah. And then yeah. I go, you know, do the first thing in my routine, come back, pour the water, mm-hmm. go brush my teeth, come back, take the take the tea bags out and put the the sugar in the milk. And it is it is very that stays the same every single day, that yeah. aspect. And just, yeah, the that ritual is like and I drink the first cup as I'm getting ready and on the way to work. And then I have uh-huh. the other cup in the uh-huh. morning at work. And if I don't have that, that's. I'm going to have, it's going to be a weird day. <laughs> I would love to hear about the mugs. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, we could talk about the mugs. We have very many mugs, most of which we've gotten from thrift stores. Um, many of them have cute animals on them. Geese. <laughs> we have um, a, a wonderful Eeyore mug in the shape of Eeyore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, and yeah, I'm I'm a major I'm a major thrifter. That's something I think I sort of brought into your life, Will, and whether Very you like nice. it or not. And uh, and um, at first, you know, it was like, uh oh, we are collecting a lot of mugs. This is a little bit scary, and because I mean, they're usually one dollar, two dollars at the right. thrift store, and um, and so you know, I was thinking, okay, I need to you know, not, not bring so many mugs home, but then, uh, your folk punk dad, TikTok videos have evolved, uh, in such a way that you're doing a lot of these daily reminders where, you know, you've got your mug of coffee or tea 
and you've placed another mug in the foreground that looks yeah. like the viewer's hot yeah. beverage. And um, people love the mugs. We get so many comments about, I love that mug. I have that mug. My grandma <laughs> had that mug. You know, like, oh my gosh, where is that mug? You know, uh, oh, wow, you picked my favorite mug. And um, so then one day, one of, you know, a thrilling moment for me was when you said, you know what, I think we need some more mugs. <laughs> and I said, say no more. <laughs> mugs are now, uh, well, well, we can, we can jump to folk punk dad, but... So mugs are now a tax write-off. <laughs> oh, so true. You know, you know. So this is this is now a business essential item. <laughs> yes, totally right. Yep, that yep. is a great point. <laughs> um, well, c- congratulations on the mug collection, and Thank also, um, I, 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 well, well, clearly because they're a business essential item, like then then that means you don't have a problem exactly, exactly. yep if you're good well and that's what <laughs> that's i'm a also a book mindset. collector and my thinking as well you know i um i'm a book collector i'm also autistic so just cataloging information yeah. is like i i love to catalog information so i thought well it's not exactly it's not a book collecting problem if i start if i make a giant spreadsheet of all of the books that we have and make it available in, you know, the uh, mutual in like mutual aid groups. So people can come borrow books if they want, which I haven't done yet. I'm in the process of doing, but I like that. You're being, you're, you're pre-planning your benefactor stage (laughs) of of your, you you are your own little lending library. You just don't need to build like the, the little birdhouse out front of. Exactly. Just come into our actual house because the little house won't hold enough of our books. We just have (laughs) an actual free library that's just our real house. Yeah. (laughs) Here's a question. Um, We know each other, um, the the three of us from seminary, Um, the two, the two of you, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it later, but the the two of you found um, matrimonial bliss um, as a, as a part of that. Um, has there been a a weeding or culling of uh, seminary textbooks, um, or are they all still present and at least um, marginally, if not substantially, relevant to your reading today? Mm, good question. I don't think we've gotten rid of hardly any of them, as far as I know. Doubles, maybe, if we were both in the same class. <laughs> That's and... about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, held on to them and with the thinking of these could come in handy in the future, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I do, I have my side gig, is, I, um, lead a Bible study at an Episcopal church. And so sure. we, you know, some of those things have come in handy for that, but then, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, sometimes we'll just read one of them you know for funsies um i'm reading one that's um women uh who are members of abrahamic faiths talking about why like their feminism and why they have chosen to remain involved in those faiths 
um, and some wow. of the, yeah, it's called, I think it's called Fem- Faithful and Feminist. It's, but it's a bunch of different, it's a anthology of a bunch of different um, women, women's um, like testimonials. So that's a very like seminary type book. That, so sometimes <laughs> I do just read those kinds of books for fun as well. And your side gig is a Bible study. So again, another write-off and clearly not a problem. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, one of the things, since we're, since we're on the topic of, of, of reading and inf- information, one of the things that I wonder, um, y'all have just this incredible, just bright and vivid um, and, and, and colorful set of um socials um like i i'll just say like blue raspberry the band is just a super fun follow um as is folk punk punk dad one of the things that that i worry a little bit about as we move increasingly towards like social media and and the way that we um the way that we process information and content is, is attention span a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I was not good at paying attention. Like even before um, I got a, a Facebook account back in uh, undergrad and um, do you feel that either in yourselves or, or, or people who are participating in your content? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's been something that's been at the forefront of my mind uh, the last few months. I think really starting in September or October, I was really noticing myself getting um, more and more, uh, I guess, addicted or dependent on my phone and on social media and how much it was really affecting my attention and ability to pay attention. And I ended up reading a book that I really liked called uh, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari Mm. um, about how these corporations have intentionally hacked our attention um, Mm. with the way the algorithms are designed, you know, because these um, apps are free and we are the product and they are, you know, selling our information to companies, the incentive for these algorithms is to keep us on these apps for as long as possible. You know, if these, if these companies were set up differently, like if they were subscription based, like Netflix or something, or even if it was like, uh, set up like public works, like, like your water or electricity, um, then the incentive for the company would not be to keep you on the app for as long as possible, but to actually serve the customer's needs of whatever they want, you know, of how long they want to use the app or whatever. So um, that was an interesting process for me of recognizing the collective issue because it's so often hyper-individualized of like, you need to fix your attention problem because you're addicted to your phone and that's your fault when really there's only so much you can do um, Mm -hmm. by yourself. And it is important to do what we can as individuals to heal our attention and to um, make what changes we can um, to heal our attention. And the book, you know, offered some suggestions, but it was also very clear with like, you, you, like people can't fix this problem on our own. Like we need 
any yeah. actual movement um, in order to make something uh, change on a societal level. Is that that this this change at a societal level? Um, this is this is something that really fascinates me, um, and and I don't mean to to zoom by all of that because there, that's important. But I but I do want to. I do want to zero in on this since we've already been talking about it a little bit. Um, before we flip the mics on, um, we were all lamenting how, like, it's the middle of January when we're recording, end of the, uh, Jan January 7. Um, Y'all are in New Haven. I'm in Philly. Um, it is, we, we were saying that it is cold relative to the weather that we've had earlier in the season. Uh, mm hmm but but i'm a snowbird um i mm -hmm. I, I miss the snow i know that that y'all y'all are um in a place where snow is common um and we were talking about talking about climate change a little bit um mm -hmm. the notion of personal responsibility for growth versus the responsibility of society to I don't know. To 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 help ourselves be whole. I don't even know if we can help ourselves be whole. Like I just want to spend a little bit of time noodling into like the into the deep end of this a bit. Like how do we how do how do how do we live as people and balance all of that? Is it something that we can even balance? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, well, wow. What a question. Um, I, I think, and you know, I think about this a lot. I think yeah. you think about that a lot as well. Well, um, but, but, um, I also think about this in, you know, as a paraprofessional in a school, I think yeah. about this a lot too, with the students that, you know, I work with, I, I, you know, most of whom are, are, or, you know, are diagnosed or are likely neurodivergent in some way. Yeah. There's a lot of, that, that tends to be a lot of the struggle, uh, not with the kids, but with the other adults in the room is like, well, what is this child's responsibility? And what mm -hmm. is the school's responsibility? What is, you know, the school's responsibility, the teacher's responsibility, the other students responsibility and it's you know something that is is a struggle for me is yeah. is how much responsibility i think gets placed on the individual like being the student in this case who for me you know they, they're five years old it's yeah. like well okay so we're saying okay you know they need to do this they need to do that they need to stop doing this or that but what is the teacher going to do differently? What are, yeah. what are we going to teach the other students to do differently? What are we going to, you know, uh, what are we going to ask everyone else to do? Or are we just going to ask the individual to do things? And I think that's, so that's where I think, I think that's where I've been thinking about that the most. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely see that dilemma everywhere else as well. Climate change, um, social media use the you know the food we eat the clothes we buy like it, it's 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll think of uh, a cap to that in a minute, but go ahead. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, I think there's... Uh, I think part of the issue is the overemphasis on individualism in our society and in, in capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and the... Um, I think that by, I think our society has a tendency to hyper individualize um, problems. Mm. Um, Things like, even things like um, anxiety and depression, um, which um, are often um, can be attributed to like a might be attributed to a societal issue um but which might be hyper individualized of like this is something that is wrong with you um Hmm. and so that's you know that that's not that's like also a case-by-case basis sometimes there is something individually going wrong that might be unrelated to a a societal factor i'm not um yeah saying it's always one or the other um but I think that in order to heal as individuals, collective healing is really necessary. Um, I think in order to be a whole human, we also have to have whole relationships. We have to have whole community, or we at least have to have... Um, a community that is in the process of seeking wholeness together. Um, Because if we um, hyper-individualize healing, um, then without that collective healing or or growth, um, there's not going to be actual, um, I don't think there's going to be like completion with that. Um, or it's, it's going to be less effective. Like, I think for me, a lot of what's been most healing in my life has been things related to community and connection, um, with community and there, that's not to deny the importance of fostering a relationship with myself and taking care of myself and um, those aspects too, because that has been really essential for me in being a part of those communities. Um, But I think um, that what, what I would like to see is more of an emphasis on collective care. You know, I I think everyone knows self-care is important at this point. Um, and self-care is still a challenge and self-care is still important. And I would love to see more emphasis on collective care and how does collective Mm. care Mm. actually maybe even make some of what we think self-care is about um, less essential um, because of us having more uh, community support. Mm. Okay. So 
there's a good there 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 are a couple of good questions um that I want to lean into there. Um, um the first thing is um thinking thinking about defining terms a little bit. Um I I do get the sense that that the language of self-care is very ubiquitous. We have we have entire industries of holistic wellness that are built around that that are designed that are designed to produce commerce on the basis of an idea that seems I, I don't know how it seems but um it feels what do we th- go ahead, go ahead mm, Cecilia. Yeah. yeah i was just gonna say i you know what uh what does that, yeah, what's the connotation of that term self-care? And for me, the first thing I actually think is the first term, the first thing that comes to my head is that it feels out of reach. Like when I hear Mm. people talk about self-care, it's like, well, like, you know, I, it seems like something that is um, not actually very accessible to very many people in in the way that it's talked about, you know, take a bubble bath, um, eat, you know, have a smoothie, get a massage. Well, like, what if you have to, you know, what if you have to work, you know, two or three jobs? Like, what if you have kids? Mm -hmm. What if, you know, what if so many things, you know, there are so many um, things that make like the industry of self-care like unaccessible. Yeah. and I also think there tends to be something that goes along with self-care. And I wonder if it's that word self is is a sort of, this goes into what you were saying, Will, like a, a very kind of individualized, like, well, you need to figure it out. And I think mm-hmm. it, it tends to go towards that sort of individualized kind of bootstrap mindset. Like, yeah. well, I can take care of myself and I can... Um, fix my issue through sheer force of uh, will and um, yeah through sheer force of will and so yeah I I think when I think of self-care I sort of think well that feels it feels um, somewhat unaccessible and I wonder what more accessible forms of self-care would could could look like or could be does it feel inaccessible because the definition is not real the definition of self-care is not realistic or because we um or or because we're just not getting it the 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 real essence of what self-care is or is it a mix of the two or is it none of the above i I was just gonna say one this kind of relates to the another thought i was having which is that i do also kind of think in in the in the larger self you know um is it a self problem or a society problem yeah um i think something that I was going to add to that, that piece of it was, I also think we worry about 
things sometimes that maybe we don't need to worry as much about. Like, I actually think that social media use, for example, I mean, you, you know, people can definitely become addicted to social media. There are lots yeah. of, there are lots of downsides to social media, um, sure. negative impacts on mental health, et cetera, et cetera. But also if, you know, maybe I'm spending more of my free time than I would like to be on social media, that that's maybe something, okay, maybe I would like to change that. But I also don't think that that is something that signifies, you know, the downfall of society, which I think, I, I feel like I hear sometimes people talk about things like our shortening attention span as like mm. a, it just makes me wonder like, well, how, how short can they really get? Like, I, yes, I think they are getting sure. shorter and I think that presents problems. And I would say that is probably overall a negative thing but i i also kind of feel like there are big there are other like fish to fry and if it the choice is between like trying to that being a thing you know uh, a person is trying to fix about themselves that causes like a sense of shame or or um frustration maybe it's even a coping mechanism that that person still needs in their life if it's a choice mm. between that eradicating that or um or if it's a choice between you know that or a like longer a lengthening attention span it's yeah it's also like i wonder if we get fixated on on if we get overly fixated on certain issues sometimes or behaviors oh and i was gonna tie that back in to to it was uh yeah what is the why is self-care inaccessible? And I think, I think, I forget the options that you gave, but it's, um, I think I was just going to tie that in with like, there's also something, yeah, I just keep thinking about shame too. And I think, yeah, I think shame is, is something that blocks us from taking better care of ourselves just in general. Yeah, I something something that I was gonna say. I'm totally with you on like the importance of um, detaching shame from behaviors like spending too much time on your phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is a really important form of self care is how you treat yourself, how you talk to yourself, um, how you uh, are, are you kind to yourself in words, actions, and, and thoughts. Um, and I think self-care a lot of the times can look like self-compassion, self-kindness, um, and uh, self-forgiveness, you know, those totally. things. It doesn't have to look like taking a bubble bath and getting a massage and drinking a smoothie, <laughs> you know, um, although I love doing all those things. <laughs> um, and the... Um, one of the things that came to mind for me, you know, around this like definition of self-care, collective care, what is sure. it? How do we navigate it? What's the difference? I think for me, another important aspect of self-care is having the willingness to um, be cared for by others. Mm. Um, mm. And I think that... If you are going about um, seeking 
community care or collective care Uh as a goal, it is absolutely vital that you are seeing yourself as a part of that community that you are taking care of. And therefore, it is also self-care. Yeah. But if you are going about community and collective care and you're not including yourself as someone who's also being taken care of, Mm. Um, and you might be going in with more of a savior complex or more of, um, a, just an attitude of, I'm not as important as, you know, my job of taking care of everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, and going in with an attitude of not asking others for help. Um, then that's an example of it not being, self-care and also actually neglecting true collective care because Mm. of not seeing yourself as a part of the collective that you're caring for. Um, So that's what came to mind for me. What you you just sparked something in me. Um, There are, and we're talk, talking about the talking talking about the nature of self care and the self and the question of uh, of self care versus communal care. There are three words that it, that it's bringing to mind, and I, I think might help us sort of tease out the difference. And that is, and, and they all have to do with language that we use around. Um, well, yeah, language that we use around self care, and that is the first word is privacy. Um, the second being isolation and then the third being solitude because in many ways they are in in terms of their execution they're similar in 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 so much as the idea is that we are phys- in in some way we are separated from from the other um but in different sort of ways totally and i was thinking i i was also thinking when you were talking about about self-care versus collective care will i I was thinking about what about people like myself who tend to not prefer being alone uh, but i i'm definitely an introvert and i definitely really um not just value time by myself but i actually definitely need that to be a healthy and sane person and and um you know when i spend time in my communities those are that's where i'm spending that's where i'm spending my energy and Mm -hmm. so then i need to regather that by myself and so i'm yeah i'm really i really liked that those distinctions that you brought up polly because i think yeah solitude is the word like i i I crave solitude i need solitude at times um but isolation that's what you know if i if i'm not doing well and actually you know need some support from others that yeah i'm gonna isolate and it does feel very different yeah i um I'm thinking. I'm thinking now. Um, what 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 sort of come back around to me it, in our conversation? 
it, it strikes me that Cecilia, you as a prof- prof- as a paraprofessional, um, mm-hmm. then um, will I, I know more of the work that you do with Blue Raspberry, um, with um, Folk Punk Dad, um, but this notion this notion of how we deal with the phenomenon of being alone with children when when mm-hmm. children have the experience of of and of of those of of any number of those three um words that we use to describe the experience of being alone and their shades mm-hmm. of content their shades of meaning um thinking about the 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 career work the service um if we were to to move it in a in a spiritual sense the ministry that that y'all do with among to mm. for children um I, I i just want to dig in more um what what are what are y'all seeing how how the experience of um how how do you see children the children that that you serve um and by extension um their parents being impacted and and in in addition to that people who care for them just broadly speaking yeah. um what are you seeing out there well and i'll just add to that i feel like a lot of the people who follow our even you know blue raspberry and definitely folk punk dad like there are a lot of um teenagers there yeah. and like as well so mm. you know well well is is also a children you know a children's musician that's another thing that you do but even with i think even like folk punk dad and blue raspberry is still uh there's yeah stuff stuff to mine there as well um in relation to that oh yeah um yeah i think that um the pandemic, you know, had a an effect that we'll never be able to fully measure on kids, um, and the um, the effects of like not being in school and um, and, and and on adults too, you know, the the isolation that that many of us experience. Sure. Sure. Um, and so it's interesting to wonder about how that experience of isolation has has affected kids now. Um, and in that experience of isolation, you know, all of us, kids included, mm-hmm. relied a lot on social media and yeah. the internet for connection um yeah and sometimes it was on zoom and live interacting with people and sometimes it was you know 15 second tiktok videos yeah <laughs> um and something that i've been seeing on on twitter and um just in on in social media discourse in general is a lot of folks complaining about how young people especially teenagers post pandemic are just like talking over people's sets at concerts and like how like it seems like concert etiquette has like changed a lot and it's like 
hey, th- there's a real life person in front of you putting their music and art out there. Um, and, but then there, apparently there's been this big tendency for people to just talk over that. And I'm wondering mm. how, how did social media affect that? Did those kids get really used to just watching videos um, and, and commenting on them? Or did they get really used to every live experience they had having a chat box where they could mm. have a conversation during a live performance and it not be disruptive? Um, so those are kind of some of the things I've, I've been thinking about um, lately when it, when it comes to like isolation and young people. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah, it just makes me, I was just thinking you can pause or play a video, but you, or you can mute a zoom, but you can't, you know, pause the person. (laughs) Um, I mean, you can, but you know, that they might not want to talk to you ever again. Um, but I, yeah, and then so with the work that I do um, as a paraprofessional, a lot of what, and these are, you know, these are, I work um, definitely with kids like younger than third grade, but uh, mostly kin- mostly kindergartners. And hmm. so one of the things, you know, they're at the beginning of this schooling journey and you know a a couple of the really basic things that I try to try to work with them on the most is noticing when do you need a break like when do you need to leave the room and go for a walk and move your body when do you when do you need or when do you need to you know have a have a minute to yourself with you know like where it's quiet with you know um nobody talking to you or making demands of you yeah and um it's really you know i i mean it's hard for most adults to to realize when they need things like that right so it's the self-regulation piece yeah yes and so obviously it's hard for kids and you know the way that they'll tell you that you know they they need they need a break you know things I've encountered is, you know, sometimes kicking or throwing things or running around, you know, sure. when in the sure. middle of a lesson. Right. And that's, that's their way of, that's where they're at. Like that's their way of, of saying, Hey, I need a break. Right. And so, you know, I, I try to work with them on like, I love, you know, I'm so glad you realized you need a break. You can tell me that instead of, you know, throwing your shoes across the room. <laughs> um, but uh, and, um, what I was going to say too, is like, you had used the word ministry and yes, I, I do feel like, you know, what, what I do, especially, well, not especially, but I do feel like what I do, you know, in my day job is ministerial, even though it's, yeah. you know, at a, at a public school, and obviously we're not talking about faith or anything like that, but, um, right. but it's also, I would say it's also, ministerial to me in return because I I realize that a lot of what I'm working with you know with 
the kids that I see are things that I need to learn myself and that mm. you're like, oh, wow, like when, like, do I need a break right now? You know, I'm, uh, I might be like at home or like out, you know, in public doing something. And I notice like, oh, maybe I need to go for a walk, you know, because I'm not throwing my shoes across the room, right? Because I learned from a young age that that, you know, would would not be met well, but maybe, you know, there's something, maybe I'm, you know, metaphorically throwing my shoes, <laughs> you know, uh, and I'm like, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe I need a break or, you know, maybe I need to go take a deep breath um, or maybe I need to remind myself that, you know, this is a little problem, not a big problem and it's going to be okay. Like other yeah. things I say, you know, to, to kids um, all day, every day. And so it's actually been healing for me, just some of those basics of like self-regulation. And that goes into also my own sort of journey of like working with neurodivergent kids while yeah. also realizing that I'm neurodivergent and uh, yeah. that's like a whole other thing. But um, yeah. And then it kind of goes to like, just, uh, I feel, I feel in some ways like it's, it's healing my inner child, which is something that yeah. I, I think about a lot too with what, with what we do with Blue Raspberry and then what people have said about what folk punk dad means to them too, that healing the inner child component. Mm -hmm. What does that feel like? Um, the, the, the moment of, of realization that yes, in, in that relationship, you are, you are the, you are the person in that relationship who, who is receiving a salary the the professional um helping to look after help, help helping to look after these kids and their their growth and their emotional well-being and their intellectual curiosity as well um but the experience of of learning something about the self from interacting um with these kids um will for you from from chatting with fans followers on uh on insta and tiktok um what is the emotion attached to that is that exciting exhilarating humbling um unexpected um toss some toss some adjectives at me yeah i would say humbling and unexpected um definitely resonates um folk punk dad came about in a very unexpected way in the first place um i did not it wasn't some pre-planned thing. Um, I was getting ready to graduate from divinity school and knew I wanted to put renewed energy into my music for adults and teenagers. And I wasn't very excited about TikTok and reluctant to uh, make an account for my music. But I thought, well, I just want this music to be everywhere that just makes sense yeah. right i should just put it on every social media platform in existence so yeah <laughs> i downloaded the app and i up uploaded one video of one song and then um cecilia um said uh i think that day or the next day uh you should be folk punk dad on tiktok and we were both fans of your Korean dad who innovated the <laughs> format um, that many people have spun off of now. Yeah. Um, I was very touched when uh, Nick Cho 
Korean dad uh, made a tweet about all the spinoffs and said he was, I was his favorite. So that was like a, <laughs> that a was, big deal. Yeah. We were, that was a, an honor. Yeah. You are but, Korean, Korean dad approved. Korean dad yes. approved. Um, but we also we incidentally, um, non-binary Korean podcaster approved. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> uh, and so I said to Cecilia, you're right. I should be folk punk dad on TikTok. Um, we were talking about thrifting earlier and um, how Cecilia has gotten me more into it. And even just a, a few months before that, I, I said to Cecilia, I feel like I need to up my style. And so we were thrifting and she was like, I feel like your style is Texas folk punk dad. <laughs> I was like, I feel like you're right. Um <laughs> And so the first video I made was like, hi, it's me, your folk punk dad. It's time to take our psych meds, minor for bipolar. And I, yeah. you know, the video got like 10,000 views. And I was like, what? This is crazy. <laughs> and then I just started making more of these videos where really it was just me being myself, uh, imagining uh, the viewer on the other side, just trying to be uh helpful and wholesome and encouraging and uh talk about things like mental health and and recovery and yeah i was really um blown away by the responses of how many people talked about how much the videos have helped them and how the videos have helped them get through dark times um, yeah and it's been um yeah, just rather uh, amazing of how helpful it's been to people. Something just occurred to me in this moment, which, um, you know, you, uh, your dad passed away, well, from cancer about um, four years ago around Christmas time. And um, thinking about, you starting folk punk dad and what you've you know what you may have learned from you know um the yeah. young people who follow you it made me wonder if you have ever thought about whether there is a reparative aspect for you and the fact like with the fact that you know your dad has passed away but and but now you are sort of um fathering in a certain sense um other you know other young people and you know your father both of your parents were episcopal priests and you're not you're not a priest but you are ministering to people yeah I, i've actually thought about that quite a bit and often when people sometimes when people tell me how helpful the videos have been since their father passed away. Sometimes I'll mention that, um, you know, my, I know it's hard to lose a parent and that my father has passed away too. And how folk punk dad for me, part of my aim yeah. is to share the love and compassion and encouragement and comfort and patience with others that my dad shared with me. Because my dad was 
a very exceptional dad. I was very, very, very lucky, very fortunate. And um, to me, Folkpunk Dad does feel like um, a legacy um, from him hmm. in many ways, um, which is really special. And um, yeah, so I, I actually do think about that quite a bit. Would you tell us a little bit more about your dad? Absolutely. Um, so my dad um, was, um, in some ways, I was a lot like my dad, and in other ways, I, I wasn't very much like my dad. Um, he, In the ways I was like my dad, he had a very goofy sense of humor. He was a musician. He played piano and harmonica. He wrote songs back when he was in high school and college, and, and then later in life discovered a a deep love of poetry and wrote amazing poems. Um, he was an amazing uh, priest and pastor mm -hmm. and um, really made a huge difference in a lot of people's lives. And after he passed, uh, just a ton of people told me so many different stories of how uh, much he had helped them uh, mm -hmm. in their lives. Um, he was very uh, encouraging, very patient, um, almost too patient at times, maybe. <laughs> um, he was also he was also an introvert. He also um, was very um, conscientious and um, very mindful of every word he said, um, and not very sort of took his time with everything. Not not impulsive. You know, I'm I'm more like. A little more chaotic, a little less conscientious, a little more impulsive, mm. a little more like my mom in that way. Um, that's not a that's not a diss to my mom. My mom's awesome, um, but um, she would say the same thing. Um, sure. The um, my dad also loved uh, jazz music. He loved uh, cycling. Uh, he he would ride uh, his bicycle for long, long distances. My brothers and I would do that too with him in high school. It was, it was very fun. Um, 40, yeah. 60, 80 mile bike rides. Um, and uh, yeah, he was, he was a great dad. Thank you. Um, yeah. We, as we're, as we're talking, we're, we're revolving in this conversation around the work of uh, of children and by extension um the inner child and um i think reparenting maybe the the language that feels right reparenting the inner child um and presumably the reparenting um that will need to be done of all of the inner children um that were who who are real children now as as we start to begin to observe the, the the pandemic impacts i suspect mm -hmm. yeah um so th thank you so much for, for for sharing that story with us um something i've i've thought about during this conversation and the you know the question of how how it's felt to you know be folk punk dad and, and be helpful in the way i've helped i've helped so many people is how much I wish that what I'm doing 
um, I would love if it if there was not a need for it. You know, I would really love mm. if 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 people just didn't have the need that I'm that I'm sort of fulfilling as this um, wholesome, encouraging parental figure in a way, you know, because, and, and you know that, and, and I just mean that to say is I, I think that um, there is a ton of value in, in the work that, that I do. Um, and I do often find myself wishing like um, I could sort of, I don't know, clone myself or clone other people to be physically with all of those people in, yeah. in the room, you know, having people in their lives in the room um, to be the sorts of people we are on the on TikTok and not just the people we are, but the people that there are a lot of other amazing, wholesome creators are like your Korean dad. Um, and I guess my hope is that part of the role that social media can play is helping people become the people that they um, want to be or the, that they need. Like um, our friend Miles had, had did this improvised song at a, a concert recently. Um, his name's Miles Bullen and he's this amazing artist and musician and he did this improv about how he wished he could time travel back to when his uh, family was younger and he could be like a helpful, sober role, role model for his grandfather. His grandfather. Yeah. Or something like that. And so I guess I would like, I, my hope is that like by modeling you know, kindness and, and compassion and these things that people do find helpful, maybe in some small way, people can also um, be the people they need for others. And I think, I hope what I'm trying to say is coming across. Yeah, I think so. You can spread that. Hopefully that can spread since it is January, there's this piece of dry January. Um, mm. What does that feel like? The the notion of a hashtag, since we're on the topic of social media a little bit, of voluntary sobriety. Is that even sobriety? Like, muse with me on that a little bit. I actually think that um, dry January and the sober curious movement is a, mm. a really positive thing, all in all. Um I have I have some friends that did it in you know a few years ago um partially inspired they told me by my recovery yeah and neither of them were drinking alcoholically 
Um, but they were partying, you know, sure. they, they were drinking a lot socially and um, decided to do dry January. And then they both said, hey, what if we didn't drink for a while? Or what if we decided to not drink if we uh, or like we oh, let's only drink if we really, really think alcohol might make the situation better. <laughs> <laughs> and and both of them stayed like totally sober for, I think, at least a year or a year and a half um, yeah. just out of sort of curiosity. Um, and then they both went back to it. Um, but they both told me that their relationship with alcohol had totally changed mm. and that um, they felt that they were much more uh, responsible, less um, less sort of dependent on it for using it as a social lubricant um, and uh, those sorts of things. So I think that a lot of good can come from non-alcoholics who want to try not drinking and see what seeing what that's like um and then you might even have someone who maybe doesn't consider themselves alcoholic who tries something like dry january and is like oh wow this is this is actually really probably what i should keep doing you know so <laughs> i i'm i'm curious how many people in dry january actually keep it going i don't really have a follow-up i'm just sort of taking that <laughs> in <laughs> um pregnant pauses don't do well in a in a primarily audio format um so there will probably be some editing around this um <laughs> i i would like to to jump us back um to um to blue raspberry a bit and I, I would love to love to hear a little bit of the origin story of, of the of the work. Well, I don't think we had uh, planned to have a band from the start. Well, I I know I didn't. Maybe you might actually have planned to have a band with me from the start, Will. Um, but uh, maybe subconsciously. <laughs> but um, yeah, we. I mean. Um, you know, I had written some songs as a teenager, like I think most teenagers do, yeah. uh, but was definitely not a song writer, uh, really at all. I had written, you know, and have, have written more so things like poetry and, and plays and things like that. Um, but, you know, I... Will and I met, you know, at, at the start of our seminary experience and mm -hmm. started dating not long after that. And it was clear that um, making music and writing songs, uh, especially together with other people, was something that was really important to him. And I was like, well, you know, let's I'll, I'll try it out. Let's let's write a song together. And uh, so I think my brain is not a part of my heart, which is that's actually the single that. I don't yeah. know exactly when this is going to drop, but that, that single came out on January, or was oh, it? Uh, the single came out on December 30th. December 30th. And uh, so that was the first song we ever wrote together in its entirety. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, a, I mean, it was a great experience. It was great to, to 
be creative together. It was mm-hmm. great to be creative. And then that song, like I would say the majority of the other songs in the album on the on the album, but that song uh, was also, you know, us kind of talking out some of our our interpersonal stuff and uh yeah most (laughs) most of the it's almost like um did somebody did I think one time uh I called us uh marriage counseling core like that's our relationship (laughs) therapy core um that's our genre (laughs) I've described us as if Kimya Dawson Dawson I didn't say that correctly if Kimya Dawson and Adam Green from the Moldy Peaches had uh, worked out their relationships in- issues in therapy <laughs> or something like that. Like wholesome Moldy Peaches or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's... and yeah, mental health issues in therapy is what I meant to say. Yeah. And so I think, I think quite a few of the, you know, that my brain is not a part of my heart is sort of came about as, you know, we were talking about how I think... I think specifically it came about, tell me if you remember this too, Will. I feel like it came about one of the times when the first times we traveled from New Haven to New York City together, I think it was for maybe for your cousin's birthday party or something. And we stayed at her apartment like overnight. And I I feel like there was some kind of either because, you know, I have i i also have ocd which you know uh created a lot of um a lot of the conflict that existed in our relationship like in the first the first kind of chunk of it um therapy has been really successful for that but uh i think i was having some some challenges based on that and you might have been having some challenges based on your bipolar and it was kind of a situation where we were kind of both uh, experiencing some of those things at the same time and maybe because of what was going on with the other person and I think that is when the seedlings of that song started do you remember that um I I think I had forgotten that it might have been tied to that weekend in New York but that sounds totally possible plausible yeah yeah that's kind of what i remember sounds sounds right i think the timing would be right yeah yeah there there's you know under my skin is also sort of that song is sort of about my the uh anxiety the ocd sort of um Mm. intrusive thoughts that i had uh, after we were after we were engaged um dances with demons it's kind of it's sort of a slightly clearer allegory based on that idea that like you should befriend your demons so it's sort of Mm. like we're befriending each other's demons (laughs) sort of in that song um and uh yeah it's kind of interesting how how a a lot of those songs are pretty pretty clearly us working out some sort of issue And yeah, it's, it's been really, it's also been really affirming and rewarding to hear 
how those songs have helped other people in navigating their own relationships, especially when both partners have uh, mental illnesses. Yeah. Um, and, and that's our hope for those too, is that the songs are as helpful for other people as they've been for us. You kind of answered my next question, um, but I was wondering if you were seeing a similar vibe from people who are uh, Blue Raspberry fans, as you as you see from folk punk dad fans. But I I I, I suspect you've um, you you've given me a, a pretty clear answer. Um, I wonder if you can um, muse for me a bit. How does it feel to as you as you say to have some of the artistically styled but still the the like the working out of some of the the more tender moments of of marriage life um to to be um artistically available like to the world like what does it feel like to to express that level of personal art personal vulnerability in an artistic medium Um, I am honestly pretty used to it. Um, I pretty early on in my sobriety, um, so this is almost 11 years ago now, started being fairly open about it. Um, and same with having bipolar disorder. Mm. Um, I think I made a decision kind of early on to, I felt like part of, part of what I could do to help other people was to talk about these things openly in order to lessen stigma. So I think mm. since I've already been pretty open in general um for you know many years mm -hmm. um sharing a bit more um in an artistic form um in a way that could help other people um and in a way that could maybe inspire other people to do the mm -hmm. same in a way that could be helpful for them and other people any for me any sort of fear of judgment um is balanced out by far for me with the weight of the potential positives for the other other side of things um and i th i think that might just be part of maybe that's partially my personality mm. um but that's I'm sometimes I'm more comfortable if um, I'm able to just be very open about things and, and not having to skirt around um, aspects of myself. And I think that it's actually yeah. been an important process for me in letting go of any shame around any of these things. Like when I think when I'm able to talk about them and be open about them. Um, it helps me not feel shame about them. You know, I, I feel like if I mm. was, and you know, maybe, you know, is it 
which causes the other. You know, if I felt more shame, maybe I wouldn't be more open. Uh, and maybe I'm more open because I don't feel as much shame. But I, I do think there is something to uh, being open about them um, lessening feelings of shame uh, for me. Yeah, and there's, I mean, um, the a phrase that comes up in the 12-step world comes to mind, you're as sick as your secrets. Um, and I, there's something to be said. And, you know, there's like this, I, another sort of 12-step idea is like, you know, a hallmark of, of dysfunction is trying to like deny, is denial, trying to deny, you know, um, whatever might be going on. So I think... Yeah, I think that's that's um, that's something I think about. That's like, well, what's the if if I you know think about sharing something and then decide not to because oh I don't know uh, maybe that's maybe that's um, taboo. Then well, isn't isn't it just going to fester more? Um, and, and so that's, that's, I have always been a really kind of open book person as well. However, what I've learned in more recent years is that I, I think I personally have the tendency to overshare sometimes and then realize after the fact, oh, like I feel, I get this like sort of naked feeling like, oh my gosh, like, why did I say that? And then not because you know, oh, a person shouldn't talk about this kind of thing, but just because, you know, maybe it's something that was too raw for me or something I hadn't, I hadn't, um, I didn't have enough distance from yet and just wasn't ready to share. So that's my, my own personal sort of thing is, is figuring out, all right, when, when would it be better for me to keep something close to my chest? And I mean, obviously there are things we don't we don't sing about or whatever you know it's um it's not uh we're not a total free-for-all but um but I think I think yeah just like Will said I mean to hear the first time I think the first time we ever made some kind of joke in a show about uh you know marriage marriage counseling uh core or whatever you know uh the first time we made a joke like that somebody that we knew you know came up to me afterwards and said like you know thank you so much for mentioning that you and will have done counseling together because like my you know my wife and i have done that but it's like it's i feel like it's so shameful to to talk about and um and i think i think i think that's a moment i kind of i think about a lot that yeah, exactly. It's like, well, what might seem, you know, um, awkward to talk about or sing about, that's probably the exact thing that somebody has been waiting to hear from somebody else. And that will give them, I mean, I've felt that before from, you know, things that other people have said or done, that feeling of, oh, wow, like, I'm not alone. You know, it's okay, because this person has experienced this thing as well. And so, yeah, the idea that that we might be providing that for somebody else sort of counterbalances the for me any sense of oh this might be awkward to share the discomfort of it yeah 
I want to do a little bit of a palate cleanser. Um, since we, since our primary location of, of being around, of knowing each other exists in New Haven, I want to do a little bit of a speed round. Does New Haven have the best pizza in the world? This gets said sometimes. Is it true? As far as I've experienced, yes. My favorite pizza, New Haven pizza. My answer is I don't know because I don't like pizza because I don't like cheese. And yes, people say you could get it without cheese. In fact, I think even New Haven pizza is sort of known for its cheeseless. There's like a cheeseless option, but it's just too, I don't know. It's just too close to the real thing. I don't, it's like grosses me out. So I'm sorry if a lot of people turn off the (laughs) podcast right there. Is there a story behind not liking cheese? Um, it's a, it's like a, it's a smell thing. It's a Mm. texture thing. Just, I don't know the way it gets goopy when it's melted. You have to like melty cheese to like pizza. This is a very true thing. Um, where's the best place to go hiking to be outside in New Haven? Mm. Well, we, uh, we just moved to Westville. Yeah. Um, and so the best place to hike for us is West Rock because yeah. it's right there and it's beautiful and it's a great view. I agree with that. And there are also, it's also one of the few places that we've actually hiked. <laughs> so there might be other better places. <laughs> we'll tell you about our, our uh, you know, our mental health and our relationship, but don't tell them we don't go hiking regularly. <laughs> just kidding one of my favorite places out in westville besides um the uh the ice the drive-through ice cream stand Mm. is the little mercantile um strange ways yeah what is the most interesting thing that you've purchased from strange ways oh well before we answer that question you should know strange ways has upgraded and expanded and they have a much larger location now um which is close to downtown before before we talk more about strange ways um and what we found there um our blue raspberry album release show is actually going to be at strange ways their new location on um saturday january 21st so we've we've already done one concert there back in december it's a great space for shows um and so we're excited to play there again but the new location is definitely worth checking out next time you're in new haven what's the best thing you've ever found at strange ways cecilia oh boy i like everything um let's see i yeah oh you go first oh i found your mushroom purse at strange ways oh yeah it's like the softest thing i've ever touched yeah i got this fuzzy this fuzzy purse with a mushroom on it for my birthday from will and that yeah that was so from strange soft. ways it's like it's a really good answer with a stuffy or a pillow around your arm yeah well and i got you your hat that you're wearing right oh, now yeah. from strange ways it also death before decaf <laughs> I feel like also it was the um the the sticker that I have of a possum that's screaming that says internally screaming on it. Was that one from Strange Ways? Yes. Yeah. So like a yeah, the internally screaming 
possum sticker, <laughs> um, all sorts of, yeah, I very much vibe with that place. I want to paint a picture for uh, for the New Haven um, uninitiated. Strange ways to me, tell me if I'm close, feels like what I wish Spencer Gifts were if the stuff was actually high quality and were ethically sourced. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. like, you can get your um, also very, uh, like, queer friendly too which is great i think they even have i think they have things like um in the new space that's larger i think they've had like a queer um dating mixer as well and things um they they do it yeah it's i mean you can get your pride flags there you can get your um pronoun buttons there you can get but then you can also get you know a sticker of a possum that's saying internally screaming you know um and uh yeah, all sorts of patches. Um, patches, pins, stickers, shirts, hats, pillows, candles. Yeah. Um, and it's all delightful. There's like funny stuff, cute stuff, topical stuff, uh, and candles. Good vibes. Amazing. Um, last New Haven question. Um, where is the best place... Um, this is this is a Yale question, not not so much a New Haven question. What was what is the best place to read or study um, at Yale? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, I had I had undiagnosed narcolepsy f during the time I was at YDS, so. Um, Wherever I was, I was probably actually sleeping. Um, but that's a whole other thing. Not just in patristics? <laughs> Not just in patristics, no. I really did like the day missions room yeah. at uh, Yale Divinity. Um, I just loved the wood and the vibe. Very it's lovingly that, nicknamed the Beauty and the Beast Library. Yeah. Oh, very much yeah, like definitely. That. So it, it it doesn't have the coziest chairs, um, but it, as far as just the, like what I could see around me, that was one of yeah. my favorite spots. And it was also close to, close to me, you know? Um, so I, I often would just study in, in places, you know, near where I lived and yeah. I, I lived very close to campus. So I was, often just around the, the Yale Divinity area. Yeah. Oh, also um, in the common room, there's a, a gas fireplace. Yeah. And so there was one finals period where pretty much every day I would just park in, not in the chairs next to the gas fireplace, but actually just right in front of the fireplace, like yeah. as close as I could safely get. <laughs> right. And uh, I would just sit there and, you know, alternate working and sleeping for a few hours. And that was nice too, because there, you know, there are a bunch of other people in there also working. And yep. then it's like every couple hours, you know, we might, we would all like kind of talk to each other and then go back to our stuff. And, do you have an answer for that, Polly? 
Uh, well, I, I also have my falling asleep during final story at, in the common room at the gas fireplace. Um, I uh, yes. I sat down at around like eight in the evening to to start working on a paper, and then was um, woken by the development staff coming in the next day. Uh, <laughs> that paper oh did not gosh. get written. <laughs> um, we we got extensions on that. Yeah, um, I was gonna say bountiful extensions. Bountiful extensions for everybody exist. The main library just going up. Mm going up as high as one could go and find exactly the same as the the day library but much more industrial and dark um and feeling straight out of like um that um that library scene from ghostbusters um <laughs> that like something's going to come flying from this the stacks mm -hmm. with the handle that you crank um mm -hmm. uh yeah just sitting sitting in one of the, those carols and uh and 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 grinding it out grinding out yeah. the papers um at least at the time that i left my last semester i also wrote 40 pages in a cafe um out in um west haven um like there there was there was in 2018 there was a a brand new cafe that opened um i hope they're still there um post pandemic but uh, they had like these sweeping um very sort of like farmhousey, like New England farmhouse views of mm. um, the sound. So you're just sort of sitting there and drinking a coffee, and it was April, so like the the windows are open, and you have the smell of the salt air um, as you're try you're furiously trying to write forty pages of of queer theology final. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what cafe was that? Uh, it was Prospect Beach Beach House beautiful yeah beautiful place to to sit and and write a paper um nice. and and when you need that sort of like self-regulation rest break mm -hmm. to just like walk across the street and like dip your feet like into the sounds mm -hmm. um and the, and and uh, and head right back um, wow. but, uh, Sounds great. so shout out to prospect beach they've got an active um google maps um pin so uh congratulations on surviving the pandemic friends um yeah yeah um and uh if i uh, i'll I'll, uh, I'll i'll be back next time that i'm there um thank you so much for um the new the new haven um uh nostalgia enjoyment um yeah a little, little uh little treat for our new haven friends um yeah. i'm so grateful for the time just the entire time that you spent with us and, and we are um here at the the top of our time so there's just one question to to ask the two of you uh the same question that we ask everybody as we're closing and that question is what do you want the world to look like when you're done with it hmm. Hmm. Um, I want it to look like when I take my two kindergarten students uh, for a break and we, uh, you know, I take them and I ask them, what do you want to do? And they said, let's sit. The school mascot is a dog. They said, let's sit on this picture of the dog and pretend to be dogs. And so then we did and we, you know, uh, barked and then translated, you know, ruff, ruff, ruff. that means let's, you know, go down the ramp in the hallway. Yeah. Ruff, ruff. That means okay. And, uh, you know, we pretended to be dogs and took a walk yeah. and came back to class. I think 
um, somehow that's my answer, like <laughs> that we can um, play together and um, imagine together and uh, feel safe and all, that everyone, all people could feel safe enough to do that. That's a really good answer. <laughs> I, Thanks. I think it's similar to my answer. Um, I, I would like the world to look more like what um, our musical improv rehearsals look like. <laughs> um, and uh, we, we had musical improv rehearsal this morning um, mm. where we, you know, gather together and um, eat uh, bagels and drink coffee and, and tea and, um, and check in and see, see how everyone's doing. And then we'll often um, start with a, a meditation or, or maybe even talk about some sort of it's a group that also practices spiritual reflection. So we might, um, someone might bring up like a, something that we want to reflect on uh, during rehearsal um, connected to spirituality mm -hmm. and improv, you know, something like grace or something like that. And then we warm up and um, do some very silly, but very fun um, warm ups, <laughs> And um, then we improvise, um, essentially improvise a musical where we are playing, where we are trusting each other, where we are using our imaginations, where we are mm -hmm. supporting one another, um, where we are uh, having fun and, and delighting and being present. Um, and um, then um, afterwards, you know, reflecting more, sometimes doing what we call a circle jam, where we just sit in a circle and one person strums an instrument and everyone just shares anything. They might talk, other people might talk, people might start making sound effects, then we might start singing something. We'll often end up finding a chorus together that somehow synthesizes what we just talked about. And my friend, uh, Lars, uh, after our last show, said something like, I want to say, don't you feel more human now <laughs> after doing all of this? Um, and there's something about all of that, the way like we connect with each other, the way we play, the way we support one another, the trust we build, the camaraderie, the um, but also the reflection on, on how these practices of attention and support can be fulfilling spiritually. Um, and so part of my hope with doing groups like that is to create, create microcosms of the world that I want to see. Mm. Um, and I think expanding that out, I would like to see a world um, with more compassion, more trust, yeah. more paying attention to one another, yeah. more play, more imagination, um, more grace, 
more mm. acceptance of forgiveness mm. and of people making mistakes, yeah. less judgment, um, less fear, um, more co collaboration and cooperation, and less um, less competition and individual drives to get ahead or hoard resources or hoard wealth and um, making things about um, supporting each other, group well-being, doing something together for the benefit of everyone, where every voice is valued, everyone um, can contribute, um, and where, like Cecilia was saying, where everyone uh, feels safe. Um, and safe to participate at whatever level they want to participate um, in whatever way that, that is, is helpful or, or fruitful for them and whatever that looks like. Um, and so I, I frequently think about how I would like the world to look more like musical improv rehearsal. <laughs> I guess it's a good thing we're partners. <laughs> My thanks to Cecilia and Will. You can listen to Blue Raspberry's new album, The Harmless Haunt, everywhere you listen to music. Check out their website, blueraspberrytheband.com, and follow them on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, you can follow the adventures of Folk Punk Dad and Manic Pixie Dream Mom on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you so much for tuning in to Uncommon Good with Polly Reese. This program is produced in southwest Philadelphia on the unceded land of the Lenny Lenape tribe and the Black Bottom community. If you enjoyed listening to the show, thank you. Please support the show by leaving us a five-star review and a comment and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help people find us. Uncommon Good is also available on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at uncommon good pod follow us there for closed captioned video content and more goodies we love questions and feedback you can send us a dm on social media or an email at uncommongoodpod at gmail.com thank you thank you thank you so much for listening until next time wishing you every uncommon good to do your uncommon good to be the uncommon good